This episode of the Event Industry News Podcast is sponsored by Evolution Dome, award-winning temporary inflatable event structures. Take a look at their structures at evolutiondome.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you join our podcast from today. Um, and we're talking about attendees uh, and speakers at conferences. Um, something that I've got, uh, I suppose without blowing my trumpet, more than a fair share of, of experience about uh, uh, and with is, is dealing with, with speakers and attendees at conferences um, in my role for Event Tech Live. And joining us today is, is a first-time guest on the podcast who has kindly given up uh, her time first thing on a Monday morning um, because of the time difference. I'm mid-afternoon here over in the UK, but joining us from Boston over in Massachusetts in the USA is Rachel Heller, Senior Event Content at GitHub. Rachel, a very warm welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Great, excited to be here. You're very welcome. I said, yes, thank you. First thing in the morning for you, first thing of the week, and straight off the bat, you, 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 you're meeting somebody you've never met before and, and talking talking all things attendee and speaker at, at tech conferences. But um, off air, you and I had a quick chat about this, and and, and we, we've obviously had the email thread that we've both been involved in. And um, it's a really interesting topic, actually, when you give it just more than a moment's thought, is that people often go, or pe you know, people go from being an attendee at an event to being a speaker and there are all sorts of maybe sort of hidden considerations tips bits of advice that we can give to give to them but before we get into that particular topic of conversation um let's find out a little bit more about you your role at github and you know have the last few years evolved to get you to where you are at the moment yeah. So first of all, I will talk about this any time of day, any day of the <laughs> week. So it wasn't hard to get me on here. Um, so I uh, lead event content at GitHub, specifically working on um, our um, flagship conference, Universe. So I help produce all of the content involved in that event. And um, it's, it's a blast. I love it. Uh, I've been in this industry for almost 12 years, a little over 12 years now, specifically in events and specifically in event content. So I've right. been working with speakers for 12 years, primarily in tech. Um, I work, I've worked at companies like uh, PTC, Sage. Um, I was recently at Bizabo. So mm -hmm. familiar with Event Tech Live um, from that perspective. But I've seen many attendees go from attendee to speaker, um, and I've seen speakers grow their speaking career from their first conference to then doing, you know, 10 to 15 conferences a year. So it's a really exciting role for me to be in. I love giving people a platform to share their stories and their ideas um, and helping people find each other through events. And, and what's the balance between in that role? What's the balance between you identifying an attendee and saying they could be really good as a speaker and the flip side of that which is people who've been attendees coming to you saying how do I get involved and how do I potentially become a speaker what what, what is the sort of the ratio between the, the, those those two elements yeah that's a great question I think I honestly think it's 50 50 and I also think it's not necessarily just finding event attendees to become speakers. It's also about bringing people who aren't familiar with your event into your event community as speakers. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think depending on the events I've worked on, I've worked on some events where we actually do a formal call for speakers. So that's a process in which, you know, people are coming to me, but I'm also going out to them to 
um, inspiring them to apply, which is part of the blog post that I wrote that sort of led me, led us to this conversation. Well, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe we could just pause there and maybe explain a little sure. bit about that blog post for people who, who may not have seen it. And we can direct them there because I'm sure it's still available. People can go and read yeah. it. But th this is what prompted getting you as a guest on today. So give us a little bit of background uh, uh, on that particular blog post that you wrote. Yeah. So uh, GitHub recently had our call for sessions. It was launched from early May to early June. And as part of both promoting that call for sessions, but also just providing some great content for our community. Um, I wrote a blog post called Nine Tips to Go from uh, Event Attendee to Speaker. And I talk about, you know, the different ways, one, that you can help yourself stand out to the review committee, but also how to actually craft your talk so that it gets noticed um, and it doesn't kind of fall by the wayside. I talk about everything sort of involved in your submission that isn't just your title and abstract, you know, you how to write a good bio, things like that. Um, and just the ways in which you can make the review committee um, their lives easier while also giving kind of a behind the curtains, you know, view on, on what we're looking for. Sure, absolutely. And, and one of the things that that, that, that that crept out in that, you mentioned the importance of networking with speakers and organizers. So, you know, if somebody wants to make that we'll call it a leap, but that transition, I suppose, may be a better way of phrasing it from, from being an attendee and, and knowing an industry and having something to offer, but actually being involved. But often, you know, you, you, I know myself from being an organiser is that I know most of the speakers that are attending because their names are just familiar to you somehow within that particular sector. Um, you may not be able to put your finger exactly on it, but you just see names that are familiar. And I suppose that's what may be one of the first steps, isn't it? Is it becoming a familiar name amongst a particular audience of people. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, when I've, when I've had on my speaker recruitment hat, that's the first place I go. I look at who they are online, you know, mm -hmm. what they've done, what kind of content they've created, if they've spoken at other events, or if they've not even spoken, if they've been on a podcast or, you know, they've, they've done something that kind of puts their name into the world, um, yeah. into this community. That's definitely the first thing I do. So it's really important that if you are, sort of on your speaker journey that you're doing that. Yeah. And and, and again, I, I suppose from an attendee point of view is participation. We have these great tools now, not just at, at event tech conferences, but, you know, anybody who runs any type of conference now probably uses some sort of tech, whether it's digital Q&A, you know, registration and, and, and a meetings platform to be able to coordinate, set up meetings. So you can use those sort of elements of technology that we use as event organizers now to, to maybe see who is really interacting and who's really asking questions and how many times is that person cropping up on your data? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that a lot of events want to encourage folks to network. So they're going to create, you know, gamification ways to give people rewards for engaging more in the content, engaging more in the tech um, at the event, whether it's the app or, or some other virtual community they have going on. So it's definitely you know, a good idea to to make sure your name is known amongst the event organizers as well. Mm. You mentioned the nine points in this blog post that you wrote, nine, nine sort of key takeaways. What would be great is if people listen to this today and then go and read the blog post so they get the sort of the full full extent yeah. of it. So I think it would be foolhardy to, to, to actually sit here and say, let's go through all nine, but let's maybe pick out a couple of sort of key snippets if, if that's okay. Um, you know, are there any sort of one or two that really sort of jumped out to you that, right, that needs to be near the top of the list? Yeah, I, I think one that I would like to talk about that I don't think gets a lot of um, 
play when we're talking about these kinds of things is to actually help the review committee think about how your content can live beyond the event. So an event is one moment in time. Um, it's a really powerful moment in time, but event organizers are always trying to elongate that moment, whether it's to, you know, if you work for a company that is trying to sell some kind of product, you want people mm -hmm. to come back to your content and to enable them to eventually buy your product um, or trying to keep the momentum going for the, your next wave of events, whether it's an event you're taking on the road or your other, you know, your annual flagship event. So they're going to be using that content to do both of those things and, it's really helpful if you kind of share how your content can be sliced and diced to do that. So whether that's, um, you know, say you're willing to come back on for a podcast or to write a follow-up blog post or to have some kind of interactive component of your session mm. that gets insights from attendees and you can turn that into a piece of content, showing that you're willing to go that extra mile, I think is really important and is something that over that is overlooked when people submit for events. So mm. um, that was something I wanted to point out specifically because it's something that I'm very passionate about Absolutely, and I think not yeah. a lot of people are thinking about. No, I, I, I would 100% agree with that. So it's a great bit of advice because uh, this was mentioned on a recent recording that I did, and I've mentioned it a number of times on this podcast before, is that what is the difference between a podcast that we're doing now and what would be the difference, what would we call it if you and I were sat on a stage now with a, th a theatre of people in an audience sat in front of us and we were holding a couple of microphones at a conference having this discussion? You know, the... the, the they're two different things, but they're the same thing. There's a very, very gray area, you know, and by recording that content, we could just as easily put that out afterwards and call it a podcast as we could a conference session or a keynote or a panel discussion. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I see that this is where we've always said when it comes to delivering a good session at any sort of conference, you know, rehearsal, preparation, go through your slides, make them easy to understand, not too many words, all those key things that we've always said to speakers. I think they're even more relevant now, given that content is recorded and can be used afterwards, is that you can, as an organiser, you're going to pick the stuff that somebody could listen to in a pair of headphones without any video or, or visuals in front of them and still take stuff away from. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something I also talk about in the article is when you're submitting, make sure that what you're submitting is, is right for an, an event session. If it's something that could be a blog post, they're probably not going to accept it. Like if I submitted a talk that said nine tips on how to become, you know, an event attend from an event attendee to a speaker and just list it out, basically what I put in the podcast, the, or put in the article, the, except the, you know, the review committee would probably say, well, this is a blog post. Um, how yeah. is she going to make it different? How is she going to make it interactive? How is she going to take advantage of the fact that people are coming to our event virtually or in person um, and are looking to, you know, gain information that way? So I don't, mm. I think there are plenty of great sessions that are X number of tips to do why. Um, but the, the point is how you deliver that content in a way that takes advantage of the, the real-time experience. And when we talk about delivering content, particularly in the tech world, it personally, I think it's really important that it's complex enough that it puts you in a position of authority. So you look like an expert, but understandable enough that people who don't have a complex knowledge of technology can still take away something from it. Striking that balance is really important. And I've seen a number of sessions fall flat, not because the inherent uh, basis of the, of the of the session wasn't good but 
the content that was delivered was maybe just a little bit too complex and a bit too fragmented for people to really take away some sort of, you know, key understandings? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, one way to counteract that is to present your content whether it's the submission you're writing to get accepted to speak or you've gotten accepted and you're present, you're practicing your presentation, practice it with someone who has no knowledge of your industry at all. Um, because I think if, if your content can make sense for them, it can make sense for anyone in your industry as well. And also they might point out things that because you're so in the weeds on a specific topic, you hadn't noticed um, yeah. that, you know, something needed to be explained. So I, I always do that. Um, yeah. Well, that's interesting because you touch on another an, an, another point, which is about the the the, the uh, aspect of public speaking, mm -hmm. which can which can be really sort of intimidating for some people. They know that they've got something to say, then that they're, they're confident that it, it's going to be a val value, but actually delivering that in a coherent, confident manner can be difficult if you've never done that before. Um, and and I guess that you know part of your role as well is 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 revolves around talking to speakers who've maybe de never delivered a session before in 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 how to go around the 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 prospect of public speaking. Yeah, I, t I do that all the time. I talk to people all the time who have never spoken in an event before and and try to convince them to apply to speak or you know or just kind of get their their name out there in some way. There's a bunch of things you can do. I think. First of all, just take any opportunity to speak publicly that you can, whether that's you're at a dinner with friends and you want to give a toast or, you know, you have a month, a weekly team meeting and you want to, you know, ask your boss for an opportunity to present something at your team meeting. The other thing I do is I tell people to think about something that you could just sit down and talk about for an hour, something you're so passionate about that if I asked you to just get up and talk about it right now, you could, no problem. And it doesn't have to be something related to your industry, just be anything. Mm. Find what that is in your job and just start writing down ideas. Like this example, this topic is something, as I said, I could get up and talk about for hours. Yeah. Everyone has that thing. That's your signature talk or potentially multiple talks. And that's what you should hone into something you submit to a conference because your passion will come through that mm. submission and it will eventually come through the presentation. Mm. I mean, there are more, I can get more tactical in public speaking itself. There's a lot of great tools. Um, I can give you some links after uh, for the notes after the um, podcast of some tools that I use virtually and have recommended to others. Um, but that's kind of just off the top of my head, things that I would recommend people can start doing immediately. Well, well I, I'm going to give a little shout out, which I don't often do on this podcast, but it's it's a very good friend of mine in the UK, um, uh, a lady called Sharon Stacy, and Sharon is somebody I've known for for many years. She's a singing teacher. She's an amazing singer herself and a performer and a vocalist. Um, but a huge part of her business now as a vocal tutor actually is is um, related to people who are public speaking or delivering speeches uh, and content of this example because what she teaches to people in a singing uh, perspective it is just as relevant to people who are wanting to stand on a stage and talk and deliver a, a conference Absolutely. session that the techniques the vocal techniques how you look after your voice how you project it, it it shares all of the same principles as somebody who's getting on a stage and singing. And I think sometimes people underestimate what can happen when you stand on stage in front of a group of people for the first time under lights high up It, it is simple things like have they hydrated enough? 
Have they drunk enough water in the not just in half an hour before you go on, but in the day or so before they go on? Because the amount of times I've seen people go on stage, they start talking, they open their mouths, and 30 seconds later they're going because <laughs> their mouths have completely dried up and i think there's that there's that physical preparation that people have to be aware of as well um when they're going to stand on a stage yeah i mean one tip that i picked up uh recently from a friend of mine devin cleary whose birthday is actually today happy birthday i know devin, I know devin a yeah previous guest, a previous guest on the podcast yeah he's great um we've we've known each other for a long time um see i just did it actually what i'm about to tell you the tip is is that your mouth moves a lot faster than your brain does. So when you mm. use those filler words, um, like so on and so forth, it's because your brain hasn't caught up yet with your mouth. And so the way that you counteract that is one, you just speak a lot more slowly and you take time, you take pauses, you take breaths, and that helps with using those filler words. So that's mm. just a quick tip that I, that I love to share all the time. And that's not just for public speaking, it's for speaking in general. Absolutely, it is something that I tell people as well. And this is not about me sharing my tips, but just to, to throwing a few extra things into the ring is um, people think a microphone is a magic wand, some sort of, you know, <laughs> sort of magic instrument that, regardless of where I hold it or regardless of where it is, it will magically amplify my voice and make it louder. And any sound engineers or people who work in audio will, will, will tell you, it's very easy to turn a microphone down. It's much, much, much harder to turn it up. And again, I've, I've, I've been witness to people who get given a microphone and suddenly they turn their voice down because they think well, I've got a <laughs> microphone. And I always say to people, speak to the room as if there was no microphone, project to the person at the rear of the room and if you do that, it will make the sound engineer's job so much easier, particularly if we go back to this, uh, what we were discussing earlier about the content being captured for recording. It's really important, isn't it, that people are given those explanations and, and told maybe how to, to operate the microphone correctly or how to project their voice. Yeah, absolutely. Anything you can do to make anyone else's lives easier that have to plan an event will pay dividends in the long run. So mm. yes, all of those tips are, are very helpful. Um. When it comes to, to making that transition, going back to sort of the basis of today's conversation, um, mm -hmm. uh, most conferences now will be structured uh, as a mixture of panel discussions as well as solo sessions and so uh, and solo sort of content delivery. Um, there are also opportunities, aren't there, for people to go from being an attending, not just delivering their own session, but maybe to be invited on a panel as an expert, which is a whole, maybe not a completely different angle, but again, one that requires maybe a certain level of consideration different to if you're promoting yourself or pitching a solo session what are some of the sort of the work, bits of advice that you could give to people who are maybe looking to collaborate on a on a panel discussion as opposed to just coming on board as a solo presenter yeah I think that's a that's a great way to get involved potentially if you maybe aren't ready yet to to get up on stage on your own or with another person and present upon a specific topic I think the misconception though is that being a panelist is just as it's it's just as much prep. I think there's just as much prep involved in being a solo presenter because you're being asked because you're an expert in something yeah. and you should have anecdotes prepared. You should also be thinking about your dynamic on the panel amongst the other panelists. So good panel discussions involve a lot of prep where the moderator will have an opportunity for the panelists to get together potentially, 
or you know the, the moderator will meet individually with each panelist. And it's, it's a two-way street. You as the panelists have to be thinking about that prep as well. I also think that um, it's a really great way to position yourself to then you know, connect with other people on stage, the other panelists. Um, you can, you can, uh, what was I going to say? Well, I tell you, what, I, I've, I've got something that's on the tip of my tongue that I wanted to, to, to ask, yeah. which is, and it, and it does relate to what people want to say. And that is the balance between a good presentation and it then becoming a sales pitch for your company. Yes, yes. At which I've seen the good and the bad of that. Because ultimately yeah. people apply to speak at events because they feel that there will be some, you know, a business benefit to them. You know, there's no need to hide behind that. If they deliver a great session, that's going to reflect well on them and it's going to reflect well on their business, whether or not they run their own company, they work for an organization. And ultimately that could lead to more interest and more business for the organization that they work for. But striking that balance in the content between uh, showing that you're an expert, but then not going down the route of it becoming a sales pitch. Because we're not fickle. P people can see through that, can't they, very, very quickly. Um, how often does that sort of crop up into, into the conversation when you're talking to speakers about what they're going to be delivering and how they go about saying and delivering their messages? It comes up all the time. And it's something, even before it gets to the attendee, the organizer will see it from a mile away that a sales pitch is coming. So it's something that we try to, to nip in the bud pretty quickly. And what I say to speakers is your content should be solving a problem. It should not be selling a product. So when you are speaking to attendees about a common problem that they all have and showing, I mean, we all need to sell products at some point, right? Especially for speaking at a tech conference and we are representing our company, but you don't sell the product in your session. You sell what the product could do for people. And then they go and they talk to you about the product after and get into the weeds of the, um, of the, the nitty gritty of it. That also is really powerful when attendees can hear from their peers, not just you. So if you can bring customers up on stage with you and tell the story on your behalf, that's even more powerful. So we often recommend um, that folks do that as they bring up actual peers to the audience to talk about the problems they've solved using a particular product. Yeah, absolutely. And again, just to throw an example in there that, that I, I, I was familiar with firsthand is that somebody at Event Tech Live, we had a tech company who'd worked very closely with the South by Southwest Festival, um, who actually brought one of the senior people from the festival along with them to, to help deliver the content that session. So it wasn't just the person from the tech company saying, this is what we did and this is how we did and this is how great it was. They were able to actually bounce that conversation backwards and forwards with, with the people who they were working for to get their own uh, feedback from it. Um, and, and absolutely having somebody there to sort of almost reinforce your message, but also give the opposite side of the uh, the fence view to that is is really um, is is really positive and a really really important thing. Um, the, the, I wanted to speak to you while we had the opportunity today to talk about uh, the element of rejection because this <laughs> is what we anybody who opens up uh, a call for papers or you know opens up that window of opportunity that people can submit um, abstracts for an event there is always that possibility that it's just going to get knocked back. 
and it could be for and so there's there's two things i want to ask you is number one as somebody who's applying for that how do you deal with with that sort of element of rejection how do you sort of pick yourself up and go forward what advice would you give to people and the flip side is as an organizer how do you politely go about rejecting applications to speak Yes. So first of all, what I want to say is that rejection is not a bad thing. Every no gets you closer to a yes. So keep that in mind. And a couple of things I would do as, as the person submitting one is if they're not giving you feedback as to why you were rejected, ask for that um, and see if that feedback can be helpful for you to apply to another event. Mm-hmm. Also, you've done a lot of the work already. You've created this great talk. Find other events for it. You know, this event might not be the right one, but I'm sure there are other events that are. So, you know, pick it back up and go apply to a bunch of other events. I also think that, um, you know, it's just going to happen. You're not, if you get your first talk accepted, that's amazing. Wonderful. Great job. But more likely than not, it might not happen. And so I think just, giving yourself kudos for even putting yourself out there is huge. And I think Mm -hmm. you can just take that and find somewhere else that your content makes sense, whether it's another event or take your talk, write a blog post about it. And then maybe that'll get you noticed somewhere Mm -hmm. Um, or pitch your talk to other avenues, blogs in your industry that you want to write for, or you want to make a video for, make a video about your talk, put that online. It's a great way to kind of repurpose the work that you've already done. When it comes to the flip side, when it comes to, um, sending a rejection letter, which I've had to do many times. First of all, um, make sure it's right. Cause this yeah. is the, the, the fear that a lot of event folks experience when you hit send on, on those emails is quadruple check them. Cause nothing is worse than, than getting it wrong. Oh, knock absolutely. on wood. I knock on wood. I haven't yet, but I just, I wanted to mention that, <laughs> um, kind of what I just said earlier from the attendee or the speaker perspective, if you can give folks a reason why do that, or um, one thing we're doing right now, we, so we just closed our call for papers at GitHub and now we're starting the review process is that I'm asking our reviewers to answer a few questions as they're reviewing very targeted questions as to why or why not they would recommend we accept this session. And so that, that data I'm going to have for um, when we go back to submitters to kind of give them some insights as to why or why not we, you know, accepted their session. So there are things you can do during the review period to kind of set yourself up for success there. Mm. Um, I also think keeping folks aware of the timeline. So making it very clear on the onset when people submit, when they're going to be notified and how they're going to be notified um, is really helpful. Mm. Uh, So that's something you can think about um, Mm. as a, as an event organizer. Uh, one thing that I wanted to, to ask you as we, as we sort of move move on with time on today's episode yes. um, is timings. Um, and uh, again, for, for people who are making the transition from attendee to speaker who maybe have not done this before, um, how important it is to really look at the timings and, and what you've got in terms of duration for your session um, and how much you are attempting to, to cram into that. And I see a lot of examples where people have just put too much content into mm-hmm. the time and the window that they've actually got for their session. There could be a temptation to, to try and cram as much in as possible. And actually I think it, it's better to go in the opposite direction because there's nothing worse when somebody's 
shown the five minute sign to the end of the for the end of their yeah. session and they realize they've still got 13 slides to get through and they start rushing they start rushing through the content without giving it the amount of insight that maybe it deserves um and yeah i just want to get your thoughts finally before we wrap up today on on timings and how important that is yeah so i think there's a couple of things one is work backwards from the amount of time you're given and make sure you're bucketing in time for attendee interaction whether that's if you have an activity planned or if you just want them to have time for questions take that time out first. So if you have a 30 minute session and you want five to 10 minutes for conversation amongst attendees, because again, they're there in person for a reason, um, take that out. Now you've only got 20 minutes and then that 20 minutes start sectioning it. So you have your intro, you have your closing, you have you know the three main points you want to make. Kind of put it together as you would a recipe and then work on each section individually. And then once you've sort of created your talk, practice practice so much to the point where you could just get up and deliver the com the presentation without slides if you needed to mm -hmm. practice with your friends practice with your colleagues the more fine-tuned it is the less likely you are to have that problem um, and if there's any opportunity to cut something so you have more time to be more thoughtful about specific points do that and also if there's anything that as we mentioned earlier, if there's anything that could be used as content after the event, mm -hmm. save it for that. Save it for a video or a blog post um, and just take advantage of the time that you have with people. Mm. And and one thing I wouldn't mind just throwing in before we wrap up is um, some of the best sessions I've seen. The speaker has deliberately delivered content within that session that hasn't answered an obvious question. Mm. Because what that does is straight away, you can see people itching on their phones to post a question and to put their hand in there at the end. Sometimes actually answering all of the questions in the session has led to at the end of the session, when you go to take questions from the audience, there being no questions because you've answered everything in the session. And I think a, a, a good session sometimes actually deliberately leaves certain elements unanswered because that prompts the questions from the audience when you open up the floor at the end there could be nothing worse or more awkward sometimes for a speaker to go to the floor and say any questions and nobody puts their hand in there or you look at the digital q a platform on on your device and there's no there's no questions been submitted in there so it's just a sort of a final offering for me is 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 actually think about the questions you would like to be asked and think about how you could maybe tease tease those questions up during your session um and the best what the examples i've seen that have done that have done it really really well um and yeah a, a, a great way of doing it um rachel before we wrap up today it's really important that we come back to you finally and just just ask how people get in touch with you where are some of the places that people can go to maybe get a bit more advice on this where can they find the blog that we've uh, alluded to during today's podcast Yes. So I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, Rachel Heller. If you search Rachel Heller GitHub, you'll find me. Um, and I'm happy to connect with anyone. I, I love talking to other event professionals about this and a plethora of topics. Uh, one organization I wanted to plug that you know, kind of talks about this stuff all the time is the Event Content Council, which is an organization that I'm part of, uh, consists of event content folks from pretty much all major tech companies and industries. We meet monthly. Um, it was started by Allison Crooker, who is the head of event content at VMware. So you can find us at eventcontentcouncil.org uh, and get on our newsletter list or our, our mailing list. You get invited to our monthly meetings. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I just wanted to mention that. And then this post, I can send you the link or you probably have the link already, but it's just, it's on the GitHub blog. Um, it's a recent one. We published it a couple weeks ago. So you'll, it's called nine tips to go from I think event attendee to speaker. So yeah, uh, you can, it's also uh, on my LinkedIn. So if you add me on LinkedIn, you'll find it there. <laughs> well, and what, what we'll also do as well, um, we'll put uh, on eventindustrynews.com on our podcast page where we actually post this particular episode of the podcast. Beneath the video, you'll see a, a description um, about this particular episode. And I'm sure we'll be able to put a link in there as well um, so, so that people can, can be directed because it's a really good starting point. You know, listen to this podcast and then go and, and read the blog and um, the two things will, will hopefully tie in with each other and, and we'd love to get your thoughts out there you know if, if you're an event organizer and you 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 have this particular role in your own conferences that you're working on you know contact us at event news blog is is our twitter handle and you'll find us on the other social media networks as well and on linkedin and it'd be great to hear you know any advice and tips from people who work in a similar capacity you know what do you do with your speakers how do you help them to go from being a regular attendee at your particular event to somebody who's actually then delivering valuable content on one of your conference stages it'd be great to get the thoughts of people who are, who are tuning into the podcast on on this particular subject um and we should also while we're in the process of mentioning and giving out um websites and contact information if you're listening to the uh, to the podcast today via your podcast platform audio only please do go over to eventindustrynews.com when you get the next opportunity to do so check out some of the latest news features special supplements the a to z supplier directory that's on eventindustrynews.com if you're an event organizer somebody who plans events if you work in the industry and you're looking for a supplier or an organization or somebody to deliver some event technology for you the chances are you'll find it listed in the a to z supplier directory on eventindustrynews.com alongside of course the podcast's page and if you haven't already done so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast via your podcast platform wherever you get from apple Podcasts, spotify i think we're on all of those so um yeah do subscribe and make sure you get all of the episodes of the podcast as and when they drop my thanks to today's guest, Rachel Heller from uh, GitHub, who's joined us from Boston today, first thing on a Monday morning. Um, so, what, 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 you know, you must have had, you know, a good couple of cups of coffee maybe before uh, the podcast today to be on such good form. Rachel, it's been great to speak to you. And thanks very much for joining the podcast for the first time today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, keep uh, keep your eyes open for more uh, for more uh, episodes of the podcast as and when they drop. Our final little thought today and, and plug is for Event Sustainability Live. Uh, this is the new show that we launched a couple of months ago. Um, it's the team from Event Industry News and the team behind Event Tech Live. Um, it's going to launch in London in November. Event Sustainability Live will run directly alongside Event Tech Live on the 15th and 16th of November at Excel London and is a new trade show specifically for event professionals talking about sustainability within the events industry. There will be suppliers, there will be exhibitors there uh, with services and consultancy and all of that stuff that we need now and people are seeking to, 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 to research um, as well as content stages with uh, a content session and content lineup that's being put together as we speak of people who can offer advice and guidance on the really, really important and growing topic of sustainability within the events industry. So I look forward to, to meeting some of our podcast followers and people who are coming along to Event Sustainability Live in London at the end of the year, which brings us nicely to the end of today's episode. My thanks once again to Rachel Heller from GitHub for joining us today. My name is James Dixon and we'll see you on the next edition of the Event Industry News Podcast. Very goodbye, everybody.